0: The blood of Jesus is enough for me. Oh, the blood of Jesus is enough. This is
1: all my hope, and
0: this is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And this is all my. Just now
1: Good morning, we're glad you guys are here with us. It's good to sing about Jesus together, isn't it? Just to come in and, and be reminded of who he is and what he's done. Romans chapter 10 tells us that uh, it's impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to uh, bring forgiveness of sins. And in, Romans, or in, in um, Hebrews chapter 9, it says that Jesus entered the greater tabernacle by his own blood. We just sang about that. It is the blood of Jesus right? That cleanses us, that purifies us, that that allows us to be forgiven. And Romans 5 tells us that he did all of this while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God. Christ died for us. What an amazing grace that is. Amen? Amen? So let's sing about that this morning, and let's worship him together. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness
0: Who breaks the power Of sin and darkness Whose love is mighty And so much stronger The King of glory The King above all kings Who shakes the whole With holy thunder And leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above all this is amazing grace sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings our chaos? Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King of glory. Who rules the nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in all of its brilliance, the King of glory.
1: who you are. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that you sent your son, Jesus, to us and for us. God, that we can be set free from our sin, from death, and to be forever with you if we put our hope and our trust in him. God, I pray this morning, if anybody in here has not done that yet, today is the day for them to put their faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Amen. You can have a seat. Welcome to Crosspoint. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Holly, you want to come on up? And um, if you're dedicating children today, you want to come up to the stage as well?
3: Good morning. Um, just a couple quick things. Not a lot today. Uh, I kind of threw in another workday last second, so it hasn't been on the schedule thus far, but this Saturday, the 28th, from 9 to noon, if you feel compelled to be here in the family room, um, we will have a job for you. We, If you feel like you're a builder, we have some of that. If you feel like you're a painter, we have some of that. If you feel like you're extremely gifted in the area of paper mache, we're going to have some of that. So um, show up from 9 to noon, and it'll be a fun time. Uh, That's pretty much the biggest thing I have. The sign-up sheets to work in VBS or to volunteer your time um, for the actual week of VBS are back on the table at, uh, back there in the VBS corner, and um, also you can early register your kids. Um, I've already done Owen, and it's kind of nice. It cuts down on the hassle leading up to VBS, so um, go ahead and check that out through the church website, and you can register your kids. Thanks.
2: Thanks, Holly. Yeah. One of the things we love to, to see around here is parents uh, publicly dedicating their children to the Lord, committing to uh, before their church family and one another to raise their kids in the ways of the Lord. And so, I want to um, let these families introduce themselves, and then we'll go into uh, child dedications. Uh, we are the Lots: I'm Mike, Amy, Evan, and Andrew.
1: I'm John. This is Sarah Watts and our son Leon.
4: I'm Tanya, this is Joseph, and Levi. Hi. All
2: right, the Bible declares that children are a gift from God. As believers in Christ, as followers of Him, we are called to recognize that children belong first and foremost to the Lord. God, in His goodness and grace, has given children to us as gifts, and as parents, we are given this incredible responsibility and opportunity to raise our children and to uh, provide for them, and to care for them. Because children belong first to God and are given to us by grace, it's only appropriate as parents we, in a sense, hold our children up before the Lord and say, Lord, these children are yours. And so teach us, Lord, to know how to raise them and point them to you through our words and our way of life. Parents, in this act of dedication today, you are declaring before God and your Crosspoint family a couple things. One is that your child is a gift from God they're given to you by God in accordance to His grace, and He's given you the incredible responsibility to care for them physically, emotionally, spiritually, and that you're also committed to actively raise your children in the ways of God. Ephesians six four says, Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The Bible serves as the foundation for our lives and how we, to are, how we are to raise our children. Parents, as you know very well... Uh, Parenting is the most demanding, uh, most challenging, most rewarding uh, job on the planet. It requires a continual dependence upon the Lord, asking the Lord to grow us in the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all right? If there's one area of life that has taught me to know how to pray, it is being a father. As parents, we are called to reflect our great heavenly father to our children, We point our children to Jesus with our words and our way of life. Our children will follow us, and so we as parents are called to first follow Jesus. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Parents, your first responsibility is to allow those commands of the Lord to be written upon your own heart, to love Jesus with all your heart, and then to teach your children to do the same. It's to allow the Lord to reign and rule over your heart and life, to allow the Holy Spirit to transform your heart and life. By coming forward before God and his people uh, today, do you hereby declare your desire to dedicate yourselves and your child to the Lord? Do you promise by God's help and in partnership with the church to provide your child with a Christ-centered home, to raise them in the truth of God's word, and to encourage them to one day trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If that's your desire, would you please respond by saying, we do. Mm-hmm. Modeling this kind of love cannot be done alone. Following Jesus is not an individual sport, but it's one we do in community alongside one another. This is the teaching of the New Testament that we're not alone in this life, but we've, we are designed for community. Parents have the first responsibility to, uh, to teach their children, to disciple their children, but we as a church then come alongside as partners and encouragers in that disciple-making journey. So I d- direct my questions now to you, the church, Crosspoint family. Do you promise, by God's help, to be faithful in your calling as members of the body of Christ, to help these parents be faithful to God and to help teach and train their children in the ways of God? If you accept this responsibility, please respond by saying, we do. All right, at this time, uh, friends and family, community group members, you guys want to come up. Um, We want to surround these households and pray over them. So uh, if you guys want to come up now, we're going to have a couple of our elders pray for them. To me, this is the most important part of our dedication is that we uh, are physically praying over these households, not only today, but in the uh, weeks and months to come.
1: Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love for us, and thank you for uh, your son for us. And uh, Lord, as a, as a perfect heavenly father who knows uh, what it is to have children, to, who knows what it is to, uh, to, to raise up children uh, in your sight and in your image, Lord, I pray that as, as these parents strive to do that, that you would uh, fill their houses with abundant grace in Christ, that you would remind them that you've given them their, your spirit in Christ and that they have your word as guidance uh, to lead their children to you and ultimately, God, to, to surrender their children to you. I pray that this uh, uh, desire to, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples would trickle down in their families for generations to come. And, uh, and Lord, that you would be glorified in, in each one of these households uh, and, Father, I pray that as, as a body here, uh, as members of, of the body of Christ, that we, too, would desire this for their families, that we, too, would um, would seek to help and come alongside and encourage and pray together uh, and uh, and to make these disciples who would continue this on long after we're gone. God, for your glory and for our good.
4: Lord, thank you. Once again, so much for these children, just a huge evidence of grace that you've brought before these families, brought before this body of Christ here. Lord, I just pray that the parents, I pray that you will give the parents here wisdom and discernment on how to raise their kids. Um, Through the ups and downs, God, I pray that uh, you will give them just the immense grace that you have lavished on all of us. And Lord, I, I pray that when these children are growing up, Lord, that they will, they will seek out biblical community. They will seek out uh, your will. And as they start to make their own decisions, Lord, that they will, they will build, build Christ-like relationships and that they will, they will grow strong in their community with each other. Lord, thank you once again. So much for this time and, and the way that we can just honor these kids back to you, Lord. I pray, as the church we all rally around these families and, and as we we teach them back in sun chasers and, and as we see them from day to day that we just keep on encouraging them in their walk with you in Jesus name, amen. amen.
2: It's good to see uh, the life of the next generation. It's good to see kids comfortable on the stage, too. Maybe the next generation is going to be comfortable with the stage. It's a good thing. Uh, This morning, we're going to be all over Scripture. So I could say, turn to this, and uh, about 30 seconds later, we're going to turn to something else. So uh, if you want to try to keep up, that's awesome. Go for it. Uh, The back of the uh, program includes the outline for today's message, some of the Scripture references that we're going to be looking at as well as some others that we aren't. And so um, you can use that as kind of an outline as we work through this. I want to share with you some uh, Crosspoint family news here before we get into the message so you can be praying and be aware. Uh, This morning, Harlan Pearson passed away, um, and uh, it was May of last year he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And so uh, the past um, year he's been faithfully um, battling that. And what I love about Harlan's story is... um, is even in the midst of difficulty and suffering and strife, over the past year you saw a tenderness toward the Lord in this. It's easy as when you hit um, suffering like that, it's easy to fall, fall to the temptation to kind of shake your fist at the sky or, or blame God or these kind of things. And instead what you saw in, in Harlan and in his family is a um, um, Lord we trust you, Uh, You are a living hope, even in the midst of difficulty. And so I just encourage you to be praying for them. No idea of services yet. When we know those, we'll pass those along. So be praying for their family. I want to pray for them now, and we'll get into the service. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for uh, the grace and the hope that we have because of the resurrection. Um, God, you are a living hope. And so even when we face um, death, we have um, a hope that isn't diminished It isn't um, decreased by any stretch. Um, Father, I pray for you to be ever-present with the Pearson family right now, God, as they grieve the loss of a husband and a father. Um, God, I pray that you would be their comfort, you would be their strength, you would be their hope, and God, that you would show us uh, as a church family of how to support and how to pray for and how to encourage them in the coming days, God. Um, May you be glorified, uh, thank you that Harlan trusted in you. And so on this resurrection day, uh, while we mourn, um, he no longer mourns. He no longer uh, is restless, but he's at rest in eternal joy um, at home with a, in the presence of a Savior and Lord that he's trusted in and that he's followed. And so we love you. And thank you that uh, uh, the, the death of a Christ follower is vastly different, that we have a hope, it doesn't uh, isn't diminished. So we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, last week we shared <clears throat> vision and encouragement about how the Lord is at work at CrossPoint. We shared the news that CrossPointer John Watts is coming on staff full time as our uh, new student pastor beginning June sixth, and then uh, Eric is going to transition to continue to lead our worship ministry, but transition then to begin to lead our community group and. Uh, disciple-making ministry of that. And if you missed last Sunday, I'd really love for you to listen or watch online. Um, if you missed, uh, we sent out an email on Monday, a churchwide email about the announcement. If you missed that email and you call Crosspoint, your church home, would you please contact Krista in the office this week? That means something is wrong in our database. And so we don't want that to be the case. And so please contact us so we can correct that. And then also, if you missed the frequently asked questions we'd put out online or on that email, There's some paper copies back at Guest Connections, questions you may have as a result of this announcement, and so you can grab that after the service as well. All right, Uh, this week's message really is part two of last week's. Today we have no big announcement about a staff hiring. Instead, what we'd like to do is to share 12 habits or characteristics that we as an elder team are seeking to live out, and as well as ones we are challenging all cross pointers to live out as well. I'm calling this message Living 3D Together, 3D referring to our vision statement of being devoted to Jesus, dedicated to one another, and driven to reach people. And so if we're calling CrossPointers to live 3D together, what does that look like? What does it look like to be a, a part of the CrossPoint family? As an elder team, one thing we've come to realize is that as a church, we just haven't made it really clear over the years of what that looks like. We've had a membership covenant even, but it's been vague and haphazard at best. And so this spring, we've been looking at, all right, what does it look like to be a healthy, active member of the Crosspoint family? Because just like we talked about last week, the focus is on our health of our church, which means the spiritual health of its people. So what's the picture that the New Testament gives us when it comes to what it looks like to be a part of the family of God? That's one big thing we've been working through this spring as a team, and our next step is to write and redo our Discover Crosspoint material. And so late summer, early fall, over the next year, our plan, our desire is to see every Crosspoint member who's already a member go back through that, as well as those of you who are newer to the church, so that we can see this church family, whether you've been here for 13 years or three weeks, uh, aligned and uh, shared around this common mission and vision of, all right, what does it look like to be a Crosspointer? Where are we going? How do I play a part in that? And let's go. And so uh, over the next year, uh, we'll be talking about that. But that's uh, our hope and our desire. And so this morning, I'm going to preach through our new updated membership covenant. I've got 12 points. So uh, typical pastors uh, would spell that out in some sort of cool word like cross pointer or something like that. All right. That's a good idea. But we didn't do that because that's, uh, that's, we're not doing that. Or they'd all start with the same letter. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to end with the last two letters. I like adverbs, I guess. And so um, most of these, all of these, 12, we stole from the Bible. All right? That's a healthy place to steal from. That's what we went with. Adverbs often also uh, ended with L-Y. We often stole from the Bible. Okay? So that's what we're going to do this morning. Beginning of the membership covenant reads like this. Having received and confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior and gone public with my faith through believer's baptism, and being in agreement with Crosspoint's beliefs and vision, I now unite with the Crosspoint Church family in covenant membership. As a Crosspoint member, I'm choosing to live with Scripture as my guide and authority, and I'm committed to living 3D together alongside my church family for the glory of God. So, to live 3D together, we'll start working through these. We must be a people who worship supremely. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 and 38, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. As Christ followers, we are commanded to love God with everything we have, to worship Him supremely, to cast aside idols, to fix our eyes on Jesus. We are told throughout Scripture that we can't worship two gods at the same time. Our God is one, and He is supreme above all else. And so our worship of God comes first, and everything is seen through that lens and through that filter. Worship is not just singing. It's what we do as a way of life. And so we worship as we work. We worship in how we love others. We worship in how we serve and how we give. Worship is what we do 24-7. We worship Him supremely in the midst of suffering and difficulty. We worship Him when things are going great. Because at either of those times, God has not changed. God is still on His throne. He's still ruling and reigning. His nature and character has not changed. His love for His children is still unfailing. He is still strong and true and gracious. We've seen throughout the Old Testament that the Lord commands us to have no other idols before Him. Too often we are tempted to place other things up as supreme, whether that be the trial or the suffering or the sin that we want to pursue or the plans that we have in our head or the money that we are earning, on and on the potential idols can go. What we're calling our church to is to worship the Lord supremely. He is already exalted on high. That's not the question. The question is, do we see Him as that? Are we living with that kind of posture and that living in a way that says, Lord, I worship You supremely above all else, primarily me. Because seeing Him in the light of His glorious nature and character, it changes us. It shapes us. It changes our perspective when we walk through things. Listen to First Chronicles 16. Give us a picture of worshiping supremely. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the, in the splendor of, of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. And so may that reflect our attitudes and our hearts as we live and as we worship our God supremely. May we also be a people who pray expectantly. Not just people of prayer, not just pray, but pray expectantly. People who pray with expectation that the God we worship is the God described in 1 Chronicles 16, that He is feared above all gods, whose splendor and majesty are before. Strength and joy and glory are His. We pray because we have this incredible privilege and invitation from the Lord to do so. And we pray with expectation because of who our God is. We're not just speaking words into the cosmos, we're speaking to a Father who has our best interests in mind and who is unfailing in His love and strength. Psalm 5, 1-3 says, Listen to my words, Lord, consider my lament, Hear my cry for help, my king and my God. For to you I pray, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Now I've always loved that verse because it doesn't stop at I lay my request before you. But it is, it adds, and wait expectantly. And wait in anticipation for how the Lord will work and move. And so we ask, we seek, we knock. Like Luke 18, we are the persistent widow, continuing to bring these these requests, these things before the Lord. And we trust him for how he sees fit to answer and respond. Sometimes the answer will be to change our circumstances. Sometimes it will be so that we are giving hope and strength and perseverance to walk through those circumstances. And sometimes the most important thing that prayer does is it changes us, it changes our hearts it doesn't change the person we've been praying for all along. It changes us and our attitude and our walk with the Lord. Right after Paul has prayed for the Ephesian church in Ephesians 3, he, re- he records his prayer, and then at the end of that, he says this, verses 20 and 21 in chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We pray expectantly because our God is able, able to do far more than we can ask for or imagine. May we be people who worship supremely and pray expectantly and grow fully. As Christ followers, we're called to mature and grow in our faith. It's all over the New Testament. Too often as Christians, we settle for this nominal faith. We think, okay, I I, I got saved, maybe I got baptized, I attend a church here and there. That's good. But nowhere in Scripture do you see that picture. Instead, what you see is this continual growth in our faith in Christ. Romans 12 says that we are to not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but transformed by the renewal of our minds. That doesn't happen overnight, but it should happen over time. We should be able to look back six six months, a year, five years, and go, I'm not the man or woman that I was there. I'm being transformed. My heart was changed in an instant when I got saved. But now, along this journey, as I have pursued Christ, He's grown in me more and more into the image and the reflection of Him. We're called to grow from infant in Christ to maturing believer. Ephesians 4, Paul says this, starting in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their, in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So we are to grow into maturity, and we do that in the context of community and in the family of God, the church. We talk often about next steps around here. Because when it comes to spiritual growth, we should be taking continual next steps in Christ. Children do not grow up in immaturity overnight, right? If you're potty training, you know this full well. You have bribed them with any candy possible, and it's not happening overnight. If you're raising a teenager, if you did raise a teenager, you know that maturity does not happen overnight. But what you do see, What you pray you will see someday is being able to see someone grow from infant to adulthood. To see that physical maturity. It's the same thing in Christ. That same maturity. So what's your next step? What's your next step? Some of us push that off for various reasons. What's your next step in Christ? So may we be a people who grow fully in Christ alongside one another in the family of God. May we also be a people who gather faithfully. We gather faithfully on Sunday mornings. We gather faithfully in community groups. I believe we've settled for this one instead. We, we gather when it's convenient for us. Or we gather when we feel like it. Have you ever been invited to an event and you're like, I wouldn't mind going. I wouldn't mind going. And you're kind of holding out, committing to that event though, because if you get a better offer, you're going to decline that one. Are we the only household? Maybe. I don't know. Hopefully it doesn't happen with you. Um, But I think if we're honest, we've all kind of been there. Unfortunately, we take that same principle when it comes to life in the family of God. Like we kind of got a placeholder on Sunday mornings, but it easily gets bumped if we've had a big week and we just need to rest. Or if we're in this low spiritual state and we think that isolation is going to make that better. Or if the kids have an event or the uh, friend invites us to this or that. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying to gather faithfully means 52 out of 52. We will not be here 52 out of 52. It's called vacation. It's glorious. It's a wonderful thing. All right? But too often, we are not placing this gathering, this opportunity to be with others in the family of God as a priority in our week. We're easily bumping it for something else. You know when I, you and I especially need this gathering is when you and I have had a big week and we're exhausted. We need to be reminded in corporate worship that our rest is not in ourselves. It's not found in our, as we sleep. It's found in resting in a God who holds us, who's holding all things together. Our rest is found in Him. When, you know, when you and I need this week or need this gathering, it's when we've absolutely blown it this week, the previous week. We're just like tanked it. We sinned egregiously. We need to be together on a Sunday morning. It's when we're in a low spiritual state. I, mean, I just, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like singing. That's when you need this. When you and I need this. You know, it's also, we also need this when everything is going great and we're tempted to worship ourselves and think, I don't need God. Have you seen, have you seen how awesome that I am? And we are temp- We wouldn't say that, but that's we're tempted to, tempted to believe. That's especially when we need this, when we need to get before God and say, oh yeah, yeah, no. You are the one who created the heavens and the earth. I worship you and not myself. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. When we gather, we encourage and we spur on. The live stream on Sunday mornings is great when we're sick or when we're just physically not able to be here. It's a really, really bad substitute, though, if we're able to be here and we're neg- neglecting that because it just you can't greet one another there. You can't embrace one one another. You can't pray for one another there. You can't be alongside other people to sing. You can't serve on there. It's a a great opportunity for physical sickness and vacation and those kind of things. It's a poor substitute of being in the fellowship, in the gathering of the body of Christ on a Sunday morning. The family is just not the same when you're not here. You and I would say that when it comes to our blood families. You have some gathering and, oh, we missed you. It's just not the same when you're not here. It's the same way when it comes to this spiritual family. We're called to gather faithfully because we've been called to live interdependently. What you don't see in the New Testament is this American idea that you can live the Christian life isolated and apart from life-giving community, that somehow you and I are strong enough to make it on our own. We've been designed to live interdependently. So Ephesians 4 gives us this this picture of growing fully. But then in verse uh, 16, it also gives us a picture that in Christ we are connected and joined together like ligaments. Throughout the New Testament, we are given one another commands. Love one another, forgive, bear with, spur on. Right around 50 one another commands. We can't live those out in in isolation. Romans 12, 9-16 says this, Live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position, do not be conceited. You and I can't read that passage or the myriad of others in the New Testament and think that we don't need community with other believers. One of the greatest areas that we must grow in as a church is community with one another. None of us, including me, are exempt from needing the support, the care, the encouragement, the spurring on of brothers and sisters in the family of God. We need people to step up and say, I- I'm willing to be a community group leader. I'm willing to be trained in that. I'm willing to be open to that. I'm willing to, to create an environment for people to grow, to love the Lord, love one another, and go and make disciples. Community is not something we build into our lives when we are less busy. Because that day will never come. That's your sad news for the, for the Sunday, right? Talked to somebody uh, two weeks ago, a friend of mine. He'd retired after a um, really intense career, a lot of hours, long, long hours. He's busier now than he was then. And it, w- it wasn't just saying that, all right? The, l- the, the time when, when you get less busy is, re- is, the, is the land where unicorns and care bears live, all right? When you, you think that when the kids leave your house, you're going to get less busy? No, you're not. That's not when you begin, oh, now then we'll do community. No, we have to do it now in the context of the busyness. We're going to have to say no to some things so we can say yes to some things. That's how accounting works. But we've got to live interdependently as a way of life in the context that we are right now, not chasing after this elusive season that's never going to come. not only is that for our spiritual health, but it's also for the health of others. Because community is not just for you to receive, receive, receive. It's for you to also give and contribute and be a part of something. It's also to set uh, an example for the next generation. So if you've been blessed with kids, if someday you will, the kids will say, why are you going to that? Or Why are people over at our house? This is what community looks like, kids. This is what it looks like to be in, in a church family. So we, we live interdependently in the family so that we might have the opportunity to love extravagantly. Jesus charges us to love him, and the second command is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Christians are those who love God and love people. Within the family of God, we are to love extravagantly. First John's all about loving God and loving one another. Listen to a couple of these sections. First John three sixteen through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So our example for extravagant love is Jesus laying down his life for us. And in turn, we respond in loving one another in that same extravagant, sacrificial, selfless way. 1 John 4 19, we love because he first loved us. Last week we were looking at 1 Thessalonians, Paul's prayer that our love for one another may abound in increase and overflow. And that's my, that's my prayer for my own heart. That's my prayer for us as a church that our love one another may abound, increase, overflow. Extravagant. To live 3D, we must also walk graciously. There are some guarantees in life. Um, taxes, death, right? That's the quote. Concrete's eventually going to crack. 98% of the time it's always windy out here. Here's another one that at some point, at some point as you live life in the family, the flock, the the house of God, as you do life with fellow people who are not perfect this side of heaven, who are seeking to grow fully but aren't there yet, who still have remaining pride and selfishness and self-centeredness, like you and I have, that you and I, as we do life with them, live life with them, they live life with us, they're going to sin against us. And we're going to sin against them. We're going to be hurt and we're going to hurt. It's a guarantee. It's often unintentional, but it's going to happen. And what many people do is when they hit conflict in the family of God, or they get hurt, or they kind of bumble all over somebody's toes, or it happens to them, they go, well, I guess I'm just going to go down the street to the next family. Or maybe, maybe we don't leave the family, but maybe instead what we do is we just allow our hearts to have this root of bitterness grow up. And our hearts grow really cold toward the Lord, or toward the love of God. A brother or sister in the family of God. We must be a people who walk graciously with one another. Listen to Ephesians 4 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The God glorifying goal here in the family is unity. Now, that's not to avoid all conflict. Or steer away from all hard conversations or think, well, we're all saved so we won't hurt one another. (laughs) Again, that's where unicorns and care bears live. That's That's not where reality is, this side of heaven. Instead, Paul says that we walk in humility, gentleness, patience, and love. And we are eager, meaning intentional. We are working toward, we are praying toward, we are protecting the unity that's already been given to us in Christ. Verse 32 in the same chapter says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. We are to walk graciously in continual awareness that we are ourselves in desperate need of the grace of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ. So who are we to place ourselves greater than God himself and not extend forgiveness? and not pursue reconciliation, not pursue restoration of relationship. Colossians 3 paints the same picture as Ephesians 4. A few verses, 12 through 14, says this, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So may we be a church that walks graciously with one another. May we also speak truthfully. Our words matter. Whether they be words that we speak or write or type or text, our words carry weight, and too often, as God's people, we're careless or flippant with our words. Ephesians 4.25 says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So we speak the truth to one another because lies destroy. We speak the truth in love as verse 15 charges us because truth outside of the context of, of love, the tone of love is like a clanging cymbal. It wounds, it's annoying, it's not helpful. To speak truthfully means verse 29 as well. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Our truthful words are to be building up words, and I love that it says fitting for that occasion, as fit for that occasion. It's not always the same, because the tone or the context of love changes. We always speak truthfully, but we do it in love. To speak truthfully, we must must also put off and reject gossip. That's throughout Scripture. Put off slander. Put off gossip. There are many sins that can destroy a a local family, a local church family pretty quickly. Sexual sin, pride, probably at the root of all of it. But also the one underlying one that's not uh, quite so public but just kind of this insidious, um, slowly chips away at the unity and love in a family is gossip. It's slander. It's when we murmur laterally instead of speaking the truth in love to the person that we've been wronged by or the person that we have wronged. So we must be people who make up a church that speaks truthfully. To live 3D together, we must also serve wholeheartedly. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 1 Peter 4.10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So we serve one another. It's for the common good. We've been given gifts and abilities, and the Lord has taken us through experiences so that we might benefit others, so that we might use that for His glory and for His service. We chose wholeheartedly to describe serve here because that's the picture we see in Scripture. We bring our best. We do it with all our heart. Whatever capacity, role that we're serving in, we do it wholeheartedly. So, we serve in a way that worships our God, worships Him supremely. We're not just filling a warm spot, but we're serving in the kingdom of God. We are His hands and feet alongside other family members. Imagine the ministry and the mission that could happen for the benefit of others, for the glory of God, if each member was doing their part wholeheartedly, from behind the scenes to in front of the scenes, where it wasn't like, staff and volunteers and leaders and all these different subcategories, but it was a, a body, a family, each, each member, each part of the body serving wholeheartedly for His mission, for the common good, for the building up of the body, for His mission in this world. To live 3D together, we must also be a people who follow humbly. The New Testament picture of a, of a local church includes the role of elders, shepherds and overseers of the flock or the family of God, the picture is, is, is of a uh, plurality of godly leadership that comes under the authority of Jesus, who is the chief shepherd, under shepherds of the chief shepherd. And they are charged with a variety of functions in the church, but you can summarize it as shepherds and overseers. They lead the church in humility before Jesus and his word. We saw last week in chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul gives us a really good picture of church leadership. What the way of life that leaders are called to. Seeking to be holy, blameless, righteous, caring for people, nurturing, exhorting, urging the members of the body. Unfortunately, the picture of church leadership for many decades in Christianity has been hurt by the pride of those leaders, by the uh, secret sin that eventually consumed them, or by the spiritual pride Of those leaders that really sought to, instead of shepherding, sought to control. So sometimes, in response to this poor reflection of Christ in leadership, we want to overcorrect on that. Christians are notorious for overcorrecting on stuff. So we want to overcorrect on church leadership and say, well, we don't need that. We'll lead ourselves. All, All authority is wicked, all authority is sinful how dare they do this? And how dare, they, how dare someone call me in, to do this? Or how, how dare someone shepherd my heart? And we want to overcorrect and reject all that. And kind of this American idea where we say, no, I'll, I'll lead myself. No one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to lead me somewhere. I lead myself. Instead, we just don't see that in Scripture. What we see is the Bible continually call leaders to a way of life that lines up with Scripture a way of life that imitates the truth and the grace of Christ. Hebrews 13:7 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So yes, leaders in the church, their way of life matters. And then skipping to verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give, who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So as elders, we are charged with keeping watch over the souls of the people that call Cross Point home. And one day, we'll give an account to Almighty God on how we did on that. Did we comfort and urge? Did we exhort and nurture? Did we lead the people to sound doctrine? Did we point them to Jesus with our words and our way of life? Were we in it for ourselves? Were we in it for the praise of of man? Or were we in it for the praise of God alone? Were we found faithful? Those are the questions that elders have to wrestle with. Members of the church family must consider, am I following those leaders who are following Jesus in a way that leads to their joy and their delight? So may the elders of this church be humbly following Jesus. And may those who call Cross Point home follow those leaders who are following Jesus humbly. To live 3D together, we must also give generously. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is talking about the Macedonian churches, and he, he writes this, verses 2 through 4 and then verse 7. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their ex- extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. But since you excel in everything, in in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So even though they had very little, the people welled up in rich generosity. Too often we assume generosity is equated to, to wealth or equated to an income status, that when we make more, we'll be more generous. The reality is it has nothing to do with what we make. It has everything to do is with our attitude toward, does the Lord own all of it? Is the Lord the provider behind this? In Luke 21, Jesus remarks about the generosity of the widow who gave everything she had, and that even though it didn't compare to the rich at all, he said this, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. But then to balance this picture, to remind us that, again, it's not about an income status. It's about a heart attitude. Paul says this in First Timothy chapter 6, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So again, generosity has nothing to do with what shows up at your taxes or our taxes. It has everything to do with our hearts and our willingness to trust in the Lord's ways and the Lord as the provider. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So may we be people who sow bountifully, who give generously of the Lord's work. And finally, We made it. We're on 12 points. May we be a people who show and tell contagiously, boldly, and lovingly. As we look at the New Testament, we couldn't land on just one. As we looked there, we couldn't just land on one adverb here. We had to say contagiously, boldly, and lovingly. Jesus makes it really clear in Matthew 28 and Acts 1 that we are to go and make disciples and to be witnesses from our neighborhoods to the ends of the earth and everywhere in between. Jesus said in Matthew five fourteen through 16, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we show of the good news with our way of life in this contagious manner that leads people to glorify our Father in heaven. And yet we also tell of Jesus with our words. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are Christ's ambassadors to this world, as if Christ is making his appeal through us. So we've got to tell with our words. But then also in that same chapter, it says that we are compelled, we are driven by not obligation, but love, the love of Christ that's been shown to us in Christ. Jesus left the 99 to go after the one who was lost. Our prayer is that as a church family, we'd reflect that same passion, that same desire to reach those who don't know Jesus yet, that they may know Jesus. They may not just know about Him, but they may know Him personally in a relationship to know the forgiveness and the new life found in Christ. So what's the Lord calling us to in the weeks and the months and the years ahead? It's to live 3D together in the family of God, in the body of Christ, in the house of the Lord, in the flock of the good shepherd. At Crosspoint, may we be people who worship supremely, who pray expectantly, who grow fully, gather faithfully, live interdependently, love extravagantly, walk graciously, speak truthfully, serve wholeheartedly, follow humbly, Give generously and show and tell contagiously, boldly, and lovingly. So let's stand up, let's sing, let's give our offerings, let's respond in worship. Father, I pray that you would spur us on as a church family to do that. God, we need your grace, we need your power, we need your Holy Spirit to do that. And thank you that we don't even have to ask for that. As, as Christ followers, your Spirit is, is in us. So Father, we want our church, we want this church to glorify You. We want, we want it to, to point people to You. We want to be that city on a hill impacting not only this area, but the nations. Father, we want to worship You supremely as a family. And so help us to do that. In the coming months and years, Lord, help us to grow in this, in understanding what it looks like to live in the family of God. Thank you for an opportunity we have here to give and to sing and to worship you in those ways. We love you. Be glorified, be lifted up, be exalted. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord,
1: praise the Lord,
0: see you. Let every kingdom bow, let every ocean bow.
1: Help us to uh, see our lives, our entire lives, as worship to you. Would you help us, God, to, uh, to see uh, in your word a clearer picture of what it means to be a member, not just of Crosspoint, but of the body of Christ. By the power of your spirit, uh, through the clarity of your word, God, would you give us the desire to enter in and to engage and to be a part of, Uh, and participate in this body for your glory and for our good in Jesus' name. And everybody said Amen. amen. God bless. Have a great day. Meet somebody new before you leave and go worship some more. Amen.